I seem to have been reading this book, uh, which is by Glenn Scrivener, The Air We Breathe, independently of each other, uh, whenever we were thinking about what we might present tonight. Uh, the material that's in here, Glenn's an excellent communicator. Uh, a lot of what we'll say tonight comes from this and is helpful to us, so uh, just a book to keep in mind. It's uh, produced by the Good Book Company. Helpful for those um, who would want to engage maybe with the thinkers, as Brian was uh, saying in his opening prayer. Goldfish swimming around in water. Uh, we assume, because we haven't had the conversation with them, um, we assume that they are not aware of the water in which they swim. We can see it, we're outside of it. The contention is that the West's belief system is an atmosphere that is, well, it's unseen, it keeps us alive. Uh, but the value system that we operate by day by day is something that we just take for granted. But it's unseen. And the contention uh, that Len helpfully draws out in his book is that that atmosphere in which the West particularly exists today is distinctly Christian. Society's values and goals have been shaped by the Jesus revolution as it might be termed. And when the Lord Jesus comes, he brings to full prominence for the world the things that were already there in the Old Testament for Israel. But then they're, they're brought to a fulfillment in Christ and brought to the whole world. And that that really is the thing that has shaped much of Western thought. In conversations with people, and we've had it in Manchester with people, sometimes people will say to us, I wish I had a faith like yours. And if you were to press them a little bit, they might concede that they're, they're not prepared to believe in what might be considered supernatural. But what we're going to say tonight is that the atmosphere in which we make a lot of decisions in life, the values and the goals of our society and so on, the seemingly universal, obvious, natural values are actually far from that. They're supernatural. Because history confirms it for us. Uh, we know that today Christianity and Christians, uh, it's attacked as being unequal, as being cruel, as being coercive, of being ignorant, of being anti-science, of being restrictive, and even, some would say, it's backward. It's something for a time in the past things have moved on. The secular outlook or worldview that predominates in the West. Secular meaning that there's no place for the supernatural. The, the secular values of society of modern Westerners are considered to be the opposite of these, aren't they? And far more honourable than these somewhat oppressive Christian values. So the unnatural values of the West, and we're suggesting that equality, that there's a moral value in every human being that exists, that there is compassion, and that these are to be prized. Society is judged by its treatment of its weakest members. That consent, the powerful right, um, to f no one is, has the right to force themselves on, on anyone else. You know these things, they come through all the time. 
uh, through the media. Enlightenment, education for all transforms society, and we see that to some degree, that science has all the answers and the ability to understand the working of the universe therefore means that Christianity is no longer required. That freedom that is pursued and held as so valuable in the West that no one is the property of another person for them to exploit, it's given. It's a given. That progress, we're a progressive society, the drive to make everything better, ridding, of it, ridding it of its evils. If you really are honest, and in engaging with a thinker, you can point out, actually, those are Christian values. They come from Jesus Christ, who taking up the Old Testament and living it out, and he as the Son of God then comes, and he brings them to us. Because history attests that the society, even when Jesus was here, was nothing like that. It was only after <coughs> his arriving that society was transformed to have these elements or these values or these goals that are held so religiously by people today. I'm just going to talk very briefly before Brian comes up and tackles some others on this matter of equality right in the top. The notion of universal human rights, an assumed value of each human life on earth, you know, there's revulsion, isn't there, at any notion of inequality. Or anybody who espouses such a view is just instantly condemned as a heretic, in a sense. Everyone pushes for equality, don't they? It's a natural thing. It's actually supernatural. To deny human um, value and equality is actually blasphemous in our society. Religious language comes into this if we're in interactions with other people. But yet, everything that we see around us and in this world, including ourselves, <coughs> everything is so very different. We share 40% of DNA with bananas, but we don't consider bananas to have the same value as human beings. You might think, well, that's a daft one. But what about when we share 90, at least 98% of our DNA with chimps? We humans have unalienable human rights that chimps don't have. But then think about it this way. When we look at ourselves and we all share the same 100% DNA, but yet we are so very different from each other. Yes, there are family traits that are passed down and you can see that all around the room tonight. And that's there, but we're all so different as human beings. But yet, we see difference and seek equality among humanity. The reason for saying this is that science might tell us about our composition, but it tells us nothing about our status in relation to each other. Hence the reason for mentioning DNA before. It's not a measure of value. It's purely an empirical measure of what we might be. And that's where science, if it alone is the way of viewing the world, falls down. Because it can't answer the big questions of life. Where does this notion of equality come from? You know, um, human rights are based on the stories we tell. 
there was a, a debate that was held between Sam Harris, who's known as one of the four uh, horsemen of the new atheism, and uh, Jordan Peterson, he's a philosopher and psychologist, uh, the other guy's a neurologist. They had a debate in 2018 and discussing many things about life and existence and the world around us. And at one point, um, Sam Harris turned to a glass of water that was sitting on the table between them and said to Jordan Peterson, what's the value of that glass with water in it? And the answer comes back, well, it's not worth very much at all, of course. How much for this glass of water? He then developed it. He says, but what if I told you that Elton John had drunk from it? He says, there are some people who then would pay a high price for that glass of water. The point he was making, and the point that Glenn Scrivener picks up in his book, and I think it's a helpful one, is that value very much depends on the stories we tell and the association that something has with something greater than it. The value of something rises because of the story. So the glass of water with its nominal value becomes valuable because of its association with someone. I wouldn't particularly pay money for a glass that Elton John is drunk from, by the way, but it's just an example, is it not, of where something becomes valuable. Now replace the glass of water with a human person. What elevates the value of human beings? If we were to, to look at it, the constituent parts physically that make us up, if you were to boil that all down and go to wherever it is that you could sell them, we're probably worth somewhere between 20 and 30 pounds. We're not worth much at all in material cons constituents. But yet, society prizes a human dignity and equality and high value. Where's that come from? It's come from its association with the stories we tell. Why do we prize human life? Just before I come to the God story, which is where we get value from, let's just say this, that if you are a consistent atheist, someone who denies the existence of God, then humanity is just one great cosmic accident as the consequence of other cosmic accidents. And really, you cannot find any value in that system at all. That's the story that so many people claim, sometimes blindly, to hold on to, but denies humanity, if you're being consistent, of any value whatsoever. It's the God story from the Bible that confers value to human beings and actually equal value to human beings. Deep down, it has to be our belief in the God story that's there in Genesis 1. Human rights and the God story stand or fall together. You look at any other system in the world and you remove that association that we have with God that confers value on humanity and actually there is no basis for human rights if we're consistent with it. We go back to Genesis chapter 1 to see where this connectedness 
with someone greater than this confers a value far greater than the example of a glass of water that's been drunk by someone famous. Here is the God who said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here's where the value of humanity and each person in humanity comes from. We're told of a loving triunity that is God, Father, Son and Spirit existing eternally in a union of love. And this God let us make mankind in our image. We share the image and the imprint of the one who created us. Yes, he created the universe. He created life and humanity as it's given to us in the first couple of chapters of our Bible and then is repeated throughout. Humanity is the pinnacle of his creation. Why? Because God said, we're going to put them in charge. They're going to rule over everything that is made on our behalf. So while we're truly dust, as we're told in Genesis chapter 2, God comes and he breathes into us the breath of life. We become a living soul. And because of that connectedness and being the image bearers to display the glory of God in our rule over creation, then we have dignity and honor and value. Now you take that out of your way of viewing the world. Where does humanity's value come from? Equality human rights, and even humanism itself all trace their source to the biblical story that we find in Genesis 1 and 2 and from then on. Not sure if uh, you came across this, you might have been aware of it, um, but Lord Sumption, who was a former Supreme Court judge here in the UK, was on a BBC Breakfast uh, debate during uh, the COVID period back in January 2021. And he made a statement, or it was interpreted in such a way as to say that he said that all lives, not all lives were of equal value. And there was a furore that was kicked off. In that debate was Deborah James, you might remember her. She was a campaigner and someone, a spokeswoman for those of cancer um, sufferers. And she passed away at the end of last year. She was part of that and there was an awkward interaction that happened when the host, Nicky Campbell, said to her, Lord Sumption has essentially said, your life is of no value. And he qualified it and said, no, it's actually of less value. But he was referring to an earlier point in the conversation. And it had been twisted a little bit. You can go and view the clip online if you wish to. He was making the point as they were debating the government's approach to controlling COVID, that it would be better for the elderly who didn't have long to live um, to suffer the effects of COVID rather than locking down society and young people who had all of their lives ahead of them to suffer with that. He was saying it would be better. I'll actually quote him, shall I? He says, all lives are not of equal value. The older you are, the less valuable yours is because there's less of it left. I was saying this, lockdowns, 
should not be inflicted on the young to protect old people like me. That was his view, whether we agree with it or not. But the stuff that came out immediately after it, people saying he was inhuman, he was almost grotesque, and he was morally bankrupt. Religious indignation as a consequence. You know, this wouldn't have been anything at all in the society in which Jesus lived and the societies that were around for the thousands of years prior to that and actually in the societies up until relatively recently in history and here's the point history shows that the values of the West today are supernatural that have come about because the teachings of Jesus Christ have taken hold in society and while society in the West people would say has become post-Christian there's no way of breaking the link to these values. Crucifixion was a mark of the Roman Empire's control system. A caste system. Now we know of caste systems that still exist in the world today. A caste system that meant that there were the powerful and there were the weak. And the powerful would exploit and do with the weak whatever they wished. There was no equality in that society. And you have Jesus. And he's crucified. God who came was not given what people today would say is the dignity that was supposedly there for every human being. You know, the society back then, and for the thousands of years before and after, society was marked by brutality. People were fed to animals. We know this from our history books. Victims weren't even considered people in the sense that we would think of people today. Rape, violence, inequality, slavery, death by torture were all acceptable and supported by the stories that were told. Look at the pantheon of gods from the Greek and the Roman system and the Egyptian systems and all across the world. And the gods are brutal rapists most of the time. The stories supported their outlook. The fathers of Western philosophy, as they're considered, Plato and Aristotle would have had no issue either. Plato said justice consists in the superior ruling over and having more than the inferior. Yet he's considered one of the fathers of Western philosophy. Aristotle said some are marked out for subjection, others for rule. Justice today in Western society works for the equalization of everyone, doesn't it? Where did that come from? It comes from the God story. I just want to finish very quickly with the foolishness of the cross and I'll hand over to you, Brian. Foolishness of the cross, as Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. He says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, it meant far more in that society than it does for us today. Because in a society of such inequality when the Lord was here, for him to be hung on a cross was the sign that he was the weak one. That he was no more than a slave. He was the one for whom others in power had the absolute right to do that to him. We wouldn't think of that today. That's why the message was foolishness then. And actually it's still considered foolishness today, isn't it? Even though people push for the equality and dignity of all human persons.
Brian, I'll hand over to you. Thanks, David. I think we'll take a break, shall we? And we'll sing a hymn. So if we want to stand and sing for this, to give Ken a chance to find it in his book, I'll read the